Well, good morning. What a great day to be in church, huh? We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, we have a bunch of lilies up here in front. If you would like to take one home um, after the service, you're more than welcome to just come up. And if you're one of the first ones up, whatever, until they're gone, you can just take one home uh, to enjoy and just remember the, the resurrected life of Christ. Well, the Rock Valley Bible Church, for the past few weeks, we have been uh, looking at the last words of Jesus from the cross. This has been our, our, our teaching slide here, words from the cross. We, we looked at the first three words he spoke, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, displaying the heart of Jesus, just forgiving even those, nailing him to the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Just a promise of salvation to that criminal upon the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Just a, a word of submission, demonstrating commitment to God. Just says, it's, my spirit is yours, O Lord. And then we, we pulled those from John last Sunday. Just the, the three words there. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. Just some words of compassion and kindness from Jesus. Taking care of his mother before he would pass away. I thirst, a word of suffering, just exposing the, the humanness of Jesus, and that it is finished, that word of victory, giving us confidence in the work of Christ. And then last Friday, just two days ago, we looked at that final word upon the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the word of abandonment, but showing the depths of what happened to Christ there upon the cross. And this took Jesus into the tomb, and, and this morning we celebrate Jesus risen from the dead, and so rather than look at the words from the cross, we're going to have to look at the words after the cross. Now, the words after the cross aren't nearly as nice and neat as the seven sayings are upon the cross. They're, they're, indeed, there are more words recorded after the cross than just seven sayings upon the cross, so we're not going to chase them all down, but rather what... I thought we'd do this morning is just take Luke's words. So if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, which speaks about the, the resurrection of Christ. I want to read through this entire story. We're going to spend particular attention looking upon the words of Jesus that he spoke. We're just going to read through the whole text and, and just comment along the way as we go. These are the words that Jesus spoke after the cross. We begin with the story of the empty tomb. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking their spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to be them an, an idle tale, 
and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Now that's the uh, story of Easter. It's what's about Jesus not in the tomb. It's about Jesus conquering death. It's about Jesus staying true to His Word that, that He indeed would rise on the third day. In fact, that's what these men, who we find out later they were angels, these men in in dazzling apparel. Verse 6, he's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you. It's exactly what Jesus had said that would happen when he was in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. And here was Jesus staying true to his word, risen from the dead. At this point in our narrative, there's some confusion among the disciples. The, the women saw the empty tomb and believed Jesus risen from the dead. They came back and told the disciples, and they were like, uh, I, I don't know. There was, like, it seemed to them it's an idle tale, as it says there in verse 11. And, and they did not believe them, right? But they wanted to verify it for themselves. Isn't it less like that, men? We want to know it for ourselves. And so Peter ran and John, they went down to check things out and, and how, how everything was. And, and it was just like the women said. And it didn't say that Peter believed. It says he went home marveling at what happened. That just means he's like, something's off here. Like, I, I need to, like, what is this? Like, hoping that everything Jesus said was true and yet maybe some doubt in there? Marveling what it was. Still trying to figure things out. And, and then, verse 13, we pick up the story on the Story of the, the road to Emmaus. Same day, different locations. And that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Here we see Jesus speak his first words in the Gospel of Luke after being risen from the dead. And somehow, right, Jesus was prevented from being recognized by these uh, disciples. I don't think it's because he had a disguise on. You know, those, those, those uh, glasses with the mustache. I don't think he was doing that. I don't think he had a ball cap and um, right, some deep sunglasses on. I think this was a supernatural disguise. And Jesus was coming. And so he had something to teach these disciples. And, and that's why these words, right? What is this conversation that you're having? Jesus knew their conversation. But he wanted them to talk. He was just drawing them out. He says, what's this conversation? Let's let me, let me join in to this conversation. And, and they did. And one of them, we read him then in verse 18, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, just this was a huge event in Jerusalem. This is big. Not only the crucifixion of Jesus, but then there's, there's rumors about how he'd said the, the, the tomb would be empty. And how even, even the religious authorities say, he said he was, gonna, he was going to rise from the dead, so let's make that tomb secure. And the tomb was secure, and then, and then it was empty. This big event 
in Jerusalem. Do you not know about this? And he said to them, what things? Again, just drawing them out. And verse 19, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And here we see the first substantial words that Jesus spoke to the disciples after the cross. I mean, the first words are merely just drawing out. Just, what are we talking about? What, what things? And they laid out their case. And Jesus addresses their unbelief, calling them fools and slow to heart to believe. He says this, verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is my, my first point this morning that, that after the cross, the first words of Jesus is when he opened the scriptures to them. Jesus opened the Scriptures. So, so picture the scene, right? Jesus and these two disciples are walking along on the road to Emmaus. And, and when he finds out what they're talking about, they're just walking along the way. Jesus didn't have his pocket New Testament or Old Testament with him. He just, he just was talking. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer and then enter his glory? That like he rise again and enter into his glory? And they're like walking along. He says like, so he opened the scriptures like, well, isn't that what the first promise in the Bible was? Genesis 3.15, when God cursed the serpent and said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and, and you shall bruise him on the heel, but he shall bruise you on the head. Like, wait a minute, there's the, Satan is going to bruise him on the heel. Like there's a, a suffering and a damage isn't that what the Old Testament, isn't that what, what Moses prophesied? Or what about Moses? In Deuteronomy 18, we said, I will raise up a prophet like me from all the other people, and you shall listen to him and all that he says. <laughs> they didn't much listen to Moses. Why would we expect them to listen to the Messiah either? Isn't that, isn't that what was expected? And, and probably there's some dialogue back and forth he had with the disciples. And I said, well, what about the Psalms? Didn't the Psalms predict his sufferings? Um, like Psalm 2 starts, Why do the nations rage and, and the kings plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? The anointed, that was the Messiah, that's the Christ. And the, the nations raged against the Messiah. Wouldn't, shouldn't we have expected Messiah to suffer these things? Right? And they're, they're walking along like, Oh, I never really thought about that. 
And then maybe said, did, did you see the Messiah on the cross? It, it, do you remember even what he said? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even it was all those things in, in Psalm 22 took place. Right? This was a psalm that Jesus was probably drawing us our attention to that. Of, of, the, of the dividing up his garments underneath him and being treated like, like a worm and even his hands and his feet were pierced. Psalm 22 prophesies of that. The suffering that the Messiah must have gone through. And by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's drawing us our attention to there. Wasn't Jesus saying that? This is appropriate. Or what about Psalm 118? Right, that, that psalm that speaks about the stone that was rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone? Does it, that, that says that this very cornerstone first was, was rejected. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer? And then to enter in his glory? And right there, they're walking along, and maybe they had some questions, and maybe their eyes are like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Or maybe say, well, there's Moses, and there's the psalm. What about the prophets? Did the prophets... Prophesy of the suffering? Well, surely, right? Isaiah 53. The suffering servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. That, that, that whole passage speaks about the sufferings of Jesus. The sufferings of the Messiah. Why are you confused about this? That of course he was going to suffer. And then he was going to enter his glory. Isaiah 53. Or I, I can think of some other ones. So say like um, Daniel 9. Doesn't Daniel 9 prophesy of the Messiah coming? And what does he say? He says, then he'll be cut off. That describes and, and anticipates a, a suffering of the Messiah. Or Zechariah 12 even speaks about the, the sufferings of the Messiah and the, the fact that they, they're the ones that pierced Him. It says, it says that they will look upon Him whom they have pierced and they will mourn for Him as one mourns for an only son. He was the one who was pierced. It's prophesying of the death and the suffering of Jesus. And perhaps they went along and said, yeah, yes, it's important that he entered into his glory. I mean, there, there are passages in the Old Testament that speak about the glory of Jesus. He will sit on the throne of David, as 2 Samuel 7 speaks, for sure. And of his kingdom, there will be no end, Isaiah 9. But, but you missed that, that the suffering came first and the glory came after that. I mean, just even the, the picture of the Passover lamb, that's who... That's who the Messiah would be, would be the ultimate Passover lamb who would suffer. And, and which of the prophets didn't suffer? No, they killed the prophets. Why, why would we expect anything less from the Messiah? And, and I don't know how long it took for them to walk these seven miles to Emmaus. So they were going, dialogue back and forth. Some other passages came to mind as he opened to them the scriptures. And about time that they finished opening these scriptures, I'm sure Jesus could have gone, but they arrived at their destination. 
And so we pick up the story in verse 20, 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and he was at table with them. He took bread and, and uh, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. Here these two disciples invited Jesus to be in their house, and Jesus spent a portion of their evening with them. And while he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to him. Now we don't know exactly what Jesus said, nor how he said it, but these were some words he spoke after the cross. And this is my second point this morning. With these words, Jesus opened their eyes. Because you even see that there, verse 31. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized Him. They began to see the realities of the resurrection. And I wouldn't doubt as these words as Jesus used to open their minds that maybe He shared with the disciples the same way He did just a few days earlier at the Passover. He took the bread and He took the cup in a similar manner. And He blessed it and He prayed. And He said, this is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And maybe He took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in My blood. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of Me. Something, maybe He said those things. But, but at any point, whatever it did, whatever He said, the reality began to dawn on them that this guy, this is Jesus. As his eyes were, were opened, as if the veil that was on their eyes that prevented them from recognizing Jesus in verse 16 was now suddenly lifted. And their eyes were opened as they recognized him. Now, notice in the, in the tense here in verse 31, it's a passive tense. Their eyes were opened. In other words, they didn't open their eyes themselves and say, oh, now I see. No, it happened to them. Their eyes were opened. And it was Jesus, I would contend, is the one who opened their eyes at that moment so they might be able to see the realities of, of what's there. And, and can you imagine the realities of everything going through their minds when they, they came to see Jesus and understand who's seated right next to them? They'd seen Jesus crucified. They'd envisioned him as dead and in the tomb. But now they, they heard rumors of this resurrection, this empty tomb. And, and now Jesus was sitting before them. But he was in Jerusalem, right? If he would appear, he'd probably still be in Jerusalem. He, why would he be walking on this road to us of all the roads to walk in Jerusalem, of all the places to go? Why would he walk with us? And yet he has. And and we invite him to come in. And, and why did he come in? And why did he sit down? And why did he speak with us? He came with us to Emmaus. And he opened the Scriptures to us. And he ate with us in such a way that our eyes are open, that we got to see Jesus. And their eyes were open, it says in verse 31. And they recognized him, but that was short-lived. Then he vanished. Poof. Gone. I don't know. 
Like, I'm not sure it was like this big smoke and Jesus exit stage left. I don't know if it was like that, but he just somehow drifted and maybe said, let me use the restroom and was gone. I don't know. But he was gone. And then, then they began to process it. Not only, not, not, not with Jesus. Jesus was gone. And, you know, sometimes, right, when someone leaves the room, there's some discussion about went on. And I think that's what's taking place. And they, they're beginning to say to one another, say, verse 32 says, that, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the Scriptures? Right? That's my first point, right? He opened the Scriptures, and now he opened their eyes. So their hearts were burning. What an interesting word. Why, why would they say the hearts were burning? Probably there, there's some reality of what, what was stirring in their hearts. Some sort of warmth that, yes, I believe the Scriptures. I, I affirm them. Yes, I see now. and Just this joy and delight. Conviction that they might be true and that Yes, indeed, the angels who spoke with the, the women. Yes, Jesus was alive. That, that Everything the angels said, he's not here, he's risen. Just like he said. And their eyes were opened to recognize this Jesus before them. Just starting the burning, they're walking as Jesus was opening the, the Scriptures. And then as they come in, and as they open their eyes, they're like, yes. And they're kind of putting all these pieces together. Then they got up and, and made the return trip to Jerusalem. We see that in verse 33. And they rose at that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. You, you, you assume, right, they're on the road to Emmaus. They're, it's kind of in the evening. They're, they're going to go and they're going to settle there for the evening. Or maybe they're, they're going there for dinner and coming back. Maybe their cha- plans were changed. They came back to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Right? So they come back and they're sharing their stories. So the eleven, right, while they were on the road to Emmaus, Peter had, Jesus had appeared to Peter along the way somewhere. And, and on the road to Emmaus, right, Jesus appeared to them. Like Jesus was pretty fast if he could do all this, but of course he had a spiritual body. He was able to do these things somehow. And they're putting their stories together. Right? And their eyes are being opened. And this was more than mere angelic announcement. This says, he's not here, right? There's an empty tomb. Right? He's not here, he's risen. No, this is risen and seen and verified as they put their stories together. And, and then in verse 36, as if to remove all doubt, Jesus then appeared to all the disciples together. And they were talking about these things. Jesus Himself stood among them. <laughs> he said to them, Peace to you. Shalom lecha. Probably we said. Just a typical, Jews will say that today. Shalom. Shalom lecha. Greetings to you. And then the response, right? They were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And I think that's why Jesus just said, Peace. Shalom. They were, they were frightened. Rightly so. It's not often that a, a crucified, risen man just sort of appears, right? You're talking about him like, whoa, what, what's, what's happened here? And, and it could have been that he just walked in the door. It could have been that he, he just came. 
amidst them. We, we don't know how it was. But they had trouble sort of grasping what was taking place. And it, it says here that they, they thought that he was a, a spirit. Right? So they're like, is, is this really Jesus? Or is this the appearance of Jesus? Our eyes? You know, like, what the, what the, like, is this, what's, what's going on here? They're trying to figure this out. So Jesus tried to calm their troubled heart to show that he was indeed flesh and blood. We see some more words of Jesus. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving... For joy and marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it before them and ate it. So catch the wonders of this moment. Jesus invited in. He came in, right? But he invited them into the reality of the resurrection. He said, I'm not a spirit. I I am flesh and blood. Here, touch me. Touch and see. And those disciples... We're able to hug Jesus and touch him and see him that he, he was flesh. And you remember Tom, Thomas? It looks like Thomas was here. You put that thing. Thomas even maybe be able to put his fingers into the holes in his hands and his side. And Jesus wearing sandals says, Yep, look, look, there's a hole right there. Being able to see and touch flesh. But on top of that, they were able to watch him eat. Like a, you know, a spirit wouldn't eat, but Jesus ate. And I don't think he ate because he was hungry. I I think he ate because he wanted to show them that he indeed was flesh and blood, able to eat. Now, these are two things that we we will never know. Like, we won't ever be able to touch Jesus in this life, the risen Christ. He's, He's in heaven now. He's ascended, as the text will end with. And we won't see him eat. But they did. But then Jesus goes back to the Scriptures, which is encouraging for us. As soon as he said, well, just feel and touch. And then then he goes back to the Scriptures. He says this, verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And again, this is where we get my last point this morning, is that Jesus opened their minds. This was more of a, a Bible study. Maybe he had a Bible in front of him, and an Old Testament, a, a scroll, and he started explaining to them and, and, and telling them. Or may, maybe he just began to teach them and to show them once again, once afresh, of some of these passages. In Genesis 3 or Deuteronomy 18 or Psalm 2 or Psalm 22 or Psalm 118 or Isaiah 53 or Zechariah 12 or Daniel chapter 9. Like these passages, right? He may have gone to them once again, but even he just speaks more here about uh, just, just even more that, that they knew, right? It's just everything written about me in the law of Moses must be fulfilled. And again, I want you to notice this, this passive tense or this active tense, right? He, 
Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scripture. Jesus is the one. He said, okay, your minds are closed. Let me open them up for you. And he opened their minds. These are my words I spoke while I was still with you. In in all the Gospel accounts, there's many times before Jesus was crucified that he predicted, wait, we're going to Jerusalem. Son of Man's going to be delivered up. He's going to be scourged, beaten, but then he's going to rise again. Uh, Back in in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, he said this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And this way he's saying, these are the words I spoke to you earlier. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. Consider this passage from Luke 18, 31 through 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, see, we're going to Jerusalem. And everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise, telling them beforehand. And then Luke comments, Luke 18, verse 34, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what they said until this moment when Jesus was with them. He said, okay, time to have your eyes open now. Time to have your minds opened And he opened their minds after the resurrection just to tell them about the Messiah. That everything written about him in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Not only his sufferings, not only the glory, but but everything. Everything about Jesus written in the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. From his birth in Bethlehem to the betrayal in Jerusalem, that all had to happen. It was prophesied in the Scripture. From his miracles in Galilee to his mistreatment by the Romans. That had to happen. From his teaching to the crowds to his trial before Pilate. From his dealings with the Pharisees to his death on the cross. From his righteous life to his resurrection from the dead. All of it was prophesied and it all had to be fulfilled. And it was. All of it. And what I find greatly encouraging is that Jesus then really goes back to the Scriptures to prove it. He didn't say, hey, just look, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. That's not, it wasn't enough that merely he was alive, but that he grounded it in the Scriptures. And if he had just risen from the dead, right, apart from the Scriptures, it would have been like, okay, well, he rose from the dead. Yes, that would have been enough, but, but God verifies it and confirms it in rising from the dead. The disciples got to touch Jesus and to see him eat stuff that we will never do. But they have the same scriptures that, that we have. And it's really the ultimate proof of the resurrection confirmed by the scriptures that we can read. We can read the law of Moses. We can read the prophets. We can read the Psalms. Are you reading them? I mean, the last couple of years at Rock Valley Bible Church, I just encourage you guys to be Bible readers. Read through the scriptures. Read through them with me and meet with me or with Yvonne or with others. Just read through the Bible and talk about it together. There's a Bible in the year. It's not so difficult. 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day. But you want to read through them so you can see and understand and see all the things that take place that prophesied in Moses and Psalms and the prophets. <coughs> but you won't see them if your eyes aren't opened. 
you won't see them if your minds aren't open. Are your eyes open? Are your minds open? Here's the interesting thing. I can't just say, open your eyes. God's got to open your eyes. I can't say, open your minds to understand. God's got to open your minds to understand. Uh, Ezekiel preached to dry bones. He couldn't make them alive. God would to come. But if you have that urge in your heart that says, I want to see, then pray. Say, God, open my eyes. Open my mind. Let, let me see and understand. And then the fruit of that is forgiveness that we get through Jesus' dead upon the cross, the, the, the cross of Christ where our sins were paid for, risen from the dead to verify all of that. And forgiveness is the result. That's the message that, that he calls all believers then to proclaim. Verse 46. And then he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And as much as that was written, here it is, that, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. There's the message. Repentance and forgiveness of sins, right? Turn from your sin and seek the Lord for forgiveness. He died on the cross. Believe and trust that, 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 that death was for you. That's the message that goes out. And by the way, this should probably be familiar to many of us. This is kind of like how Acts started. We just finished preaching through the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 1, verse 8 speaks about how you'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea throughout all Samaria, and here we have forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness of sins, be proclaimed in His name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then even to the remotest parts of the earth. It says, "You are witnesses of these things." Right? What's the theme of Acts? Be my witnesses. You are witnesses. You've seen it. Now you just go and tell others of what you have seen and heard. And then His final word here it says, "And behold." I'm sending the promise of my holy of my Father upon you. That is the Holy Spirit coming. But stay in this city until you're clothed with power from on high. It's exactly how Acts begins. Is Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom? He says, no, not for you. But you just wait in Jerusalem. But when my Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses. So here we see the transition so nicely, just having studied through the book of Acts to see all of that. And then we see the ascension. Just finishing out this chapter. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. An amazing thing. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And I think just even this last section here just shows where we ought to be, right? Jesus has ascended. He is in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is waiting till that time to make his enemies a footstool for his feet. But we ought to be like these disciples who, who worship him, right? They, they worship Jesus as he was going up, right? And we worship Jesus today. We ought to, we ought to worship him. We ought to return with great joy. I, you know, I have prayed for this morning that we might leave this place with particular joy being reminded afresh of the resurrection. We just go happy away from Rock Valley Bible Church this morning because of the reality of Jesus risen from the dead. It says here they were continually in the temple blessing God, continuing with the church body, continuing wherever we go, wherever you go for your Easter meal this day, 
May you go continually blessing God the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, verifying everything that he said was true. Well, Jesus, in his last words, he opened the scriptures, and in so doing, he opened their eyes and opened their minds to the realities of the gospel. So let's pray, and we'll sing one last song before we go. Father, thank you for just your word, how it speaks to us. And I do pray, even as I mentioned, God, that you would help us to leave this place with great joy this morning. God, with, with great joy, knowing and being convinced further and further of the resurrection of Jesus, that it would have a huge impact upon our lives, that we would live a life that demonstrates we believe that Christ raised from the dead. So be with us, God. May, may today of all Sundays be a day particularly joy-filled. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.